Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Thanks, Anna. Really appreciate that today, uh, reading God's Word for us. That's a blessing for us. And uh, thanks for the team for, again, setting up as we do uh, for the last couple of weeks here. We've been relocated to uh, Southship Community Church. And again, we want to say thank you to those guys for generously letting us come to their building and use that at this particular time. Uh, my name is Todd Hall. I'm the lead pastor here at Exchange Church. And welcome to those who are before us right here in the live congregation. Also for those who are online as well. Uh, we want to say thank you so much for joining with us today as we come and celebrate Christ together uh, around uh, the congregation, the community of believers, but also around his word as well. Uh, as you can see, we don't get through retakes when we do this, because sometimes we're doing the pre-record. If we mucked it up, we could always do it again. But it's live action. It's live action this time. So um, that's all good. We're so glad that we can get back together again, because it's great to see warm, smiling faces here as they look at us and uh, encourage us all to be together in Christ. And as Chelsea just said before, if you want to be part of our congregation coming here on Sundays, we would love for you to, to be a part of that. You do need to email us and we can uh, slot you in for the group of 20 that we can bring in. And we do want to actually have everybody involved at some point down the track in groups of 20 sort of rotating through. So uh, please uh, do that for us. Okay, we have been in um, Colossians the last few months and we're still there now. We've got about two or three talks to go. But as we set up this talk, which is tied in with those readings there that we just had from Anna... um, One thing I could say that we've discovered through this COVID-19 crisis is a couple of new words, words I've never heard of before, words like job keeper and job seeker. Uh, The government has bent over backwards, as it were, to keep people employed and to keep a regular payment coming through during this pandemic. This job keeper, job seeker is about work. Uh, Here's something else to think about. What's one thing usually on people's minds as they get to the end of their schooling life. What's something they're thinking about? Generally, it's they're thinking about a career. Maybe they're going to move in a certain direction for a career, or maybe they're going to move straight into a job or work and join the workforce. Even when their career does start, that'll end up being in work as well. Or what does a 15-year-old person think about when they hit that mature age of 15 or so to speak? Often they're thinking about a part-time job, part-time work. Uh, All of our kids so far have all gone into McDonald's to get their part-time work and three of the girls have all bought a car each with their money that they earned at McDonald's and Elliot's sort of working his way towards that as well. Uh, That's what happens. It's, uh, It's work. Well, work is something that all of us at some point in time will be involved in at some stage of our lives. So we're going to think about work today as Paul takes us there in the book of Colossians. So if you've got your Bibles, please go there to chapter 3 in Colossians. I'm going to just read verse 17, and then we're going to drop down to verses 22 through to chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 22. Bondservants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you now that we can come and gather together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing we have to come around your word. We ask now that, Holy Spirit, you would just uh, open up this word into our hearts, the truth of the gospel as it shapes the way we work, such a large chunk of our lives. Even as we think about that today, I pray that you'll transform us uh, by your power, Holy Spirit, through the working of your word, the gospel, as it intersects with our life. And this transformation will bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ as we take this back to our place of work, wherever that may be. Uh, Lord, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's really important to get as we think about Colossians here and think about the gospel, that it really does transform every part of who we are. The gospel leaves no stone unturned in our lives. It's a bit like if you put a drop of cordial into the water... What does that cordial do? It just sort of goes everywhere, doesn't it? That's like the gospel. It actually goes to every part of who we are as a person. Now, the subheading in your Bible there, as you might have read that passage, it might have said rules for Christian households there uh, in that um, start of about chapter 3, verse 21, actually, thereabouts. What Paul is doing here when he says that, not that Paul put the subheadings there, but what Paul's doing here as he talks about Christian households He's showing how the gospel redeems every part of who we are, every aspect of our everyday lives. The last few weeks it's been wife, husband and the kids, which we've shown to be the foundation of our society, the pillars of our society is the family unit. But now Paul branches out into another large chunk of our lives, the workplace, the workplace. Think about this. Uh, let's call the average age of living now around 80 years, which I think for males it's about 80.3 and for females it's about 84. I think I saw that earlier in the week. Think about that, but think about this also. For about 45 years of your life, you'll spend roughly 48 weeks a year and 40 hours a week at work. Now, that'll either depress you or it may exhilarate you, depending on your personality. For me... I get excited about work. I could be one of those strange people who enjoys it, but I enjoy that. All that really means is that work is a significant part of our lives. Work is a major part of our lives. Generally, the best eight hours of our day is spent at work, doing a job, getting things done. Now, contrary to the idea that work is just something you've got to do, some people can think like that, work is part of God's created order. It's a good thing. Uh, Midway through Genesis 2, prior to the fall, we see this picture here where God places Adam in the garden. And what does he tell Adam to do? Work it. Go and work in the garden. So work is a good thing that is God-ordained and given to us by himself. And it's only right here that through work that God actually intends us to be satisfied and fulfilled as we work for him and his glory through our daily jobs, whatever they may be. And it's only right also here that Paul now wants to talk about this gospel, as it were, redeemed living in our workplace, in this large chunk of our lives. It's not something separate. It's something that's very much a part of who we are in this workplace. So as we think about that today, here's our big idea for today. Your job site, 
your workplace, your desk, your classroom, your tractor seat, your kitchen or your laundry is a place of wholehearted worship before our sovereign God. Your workplace is a place of worship before our sovereign God. So the first thing we need to think about here to grasp this radical statement that Paul is making here is to understand what he means here by the word slaves in verse 22. When he opens up there, he says bond servants in the ESV, but other versions may say slaves as well. To think about slaves, but that'll help us to understand what Paul's saying and also just how radical is what he's saying as well. The, uh, the Greek or the Roman Greek world of the New Testament is a world marked by a very large slave labour force. Early writers say that up to half of the population, 60 million people of 120 million in the world at that time, or the Roman world at that time, were slaves. One Roman senator that I read about earlier this week had about 400 slaves to look after his townhouse. Now, that either means he was an extremely lazy Roman senator or he had a very large townhouse, but he had 400 slaves in his townhouse. It was actually considered an unheard of thing that a Roman citizen should have to work. That's beneath them. You get slaves to do your work. What was it like to be a slave? Well, this varied from owner to owner. Generally, slaves were considered property that you owned, property that you could do with as you like. If you were the slave of a farmer, you had no more value than a plough or a shovel. Doesn't sound too exciting, that does it, but that's the truth of it. If your slave, talking about the context of the slaves here that Paul's writing this to, if your slave died on the job because you actually pushed them too hard for whatever task you gave them, well, that's just bad luck. What they did was just throw the slave onto the burn pile and went down to the market and bought another one. Giving you a picture here of the value of slaves at this particular point in time in the world. A slave had no rights. A slave couldn't inherit anything. Uh, the thought of the Roman world was that slaves were subhuman, not fully human. They were just things that you could use. And generally, there was no relationship between the slaves and their owner. And nothing uncommon for slaves to get regular beatings. And that's just not a light rap over the knuckles. That's just like getting smashed out over the smallest incidents, depending on the anger of your owner at that particular time. You see, this is the Roman world of slavery that Paul writes into here. And the very fact, the very fact that Paul addresses slaves here is radical. Slaves are part of the Colossian church, but nobody addresses slaves because they've got no value. Slaves aren't recognised at all. Slaves are the lowest class of person. They're probably beneath any low class of whatever they might consider to be a person. But see, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He doesn't see this world the way other people see this world. So this is really radical here that Paul even addresses these slaves here in the eyes of the local Romans and Colossae. They might get hold of this letter and say, Paul, what are you doing addressing these people for? They're not worth addressing. So slaves, that's just the backdrop there as we understand who Paul's writing this particular part of the letter to. So he writes to these slaves now how to conduct themselves to keep in step with the gospel. They've been saved by Christ and now they've been brought into this new life. 
How do they as slaves, how do they conduct this new life to keep in step with the gospel where they find themselves at this particular time? So look at what he says here in verse 22 as he kicks off. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Slaves in the eyes of the world, but followers of Jesus in the eyes of God, Obey your earthly masters. Obey these guys who are potentially abusing you with cruelty. Obey your owners who beat you from time to time for no real reason at all. Do what they tell you to do. Carry out their tasks. Do whatever job you're asked to do, no matter how demeaning that job may be. Carry it out, Paul says. Paul ramps up further in this verse. He says, don't just obey by the way of eye service, just for appearance sake, just so I'm looking good in the moment, and the moment the boss or the owner takes my eye off me, I'm back to my slack old ways again. Paul says again in verse 22, obey with sincerity of heart. Put your heart into the work. Work like it's your own business. Work like it's your own farm. Work like it's yours. Put your heart into it, Paul says. Do things with honesty. Don't cut corners. And in verse 23, Paul steps out a little bit further. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. What's he saying there? Whatever job you're given, do it with energy. Do it with zeal. Don't hold back. Give it your very best efforts. Obey your masters in this way. Now we've got to think for a moment, how would the potential slaves in the Colossian church receive that? Are you for real, Paul? Are you deadly serious about what you're saying? Don't you know these guys rip us off? Don't you know these guys bust our backs with brutal work? Don't you know that these guys beat us with rods for really no reason whatsoever? These owners are cruel and they are crushing us. And you say, give them our best? Paul, let me show you the scars they've put on my hands. I can imagine that response or reaction may be there as they think about the context they're in and what Paul's saying. So what's driving Paul to tell these slaves to respond like that in this particular situation. Because what he's saying there, if you think about it, it's radical. It's really radical for these slaves. Look what Paul says here again in verse 22 to help us see what's driving what Paul is saying to them. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, in reverence before God. Again in verse 23, 24, let's see what he says. Whatever you do, so any task you're given, work heartily. We just saw what that was. Who for? As for the Lord. And not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Who are you serving? You're serving the Lord Christ. Think about what Paul's saying here. Who are you working for? Is it the owner? Is it the company? Is it the people who bought you? Well, Yes, that's true. You are working for them. But Paul actually says, look beyond that, look further 
and look who you're really working for. Who is it? You're working for Jesus. Not as for men, but as for God. You are serving the Lord Christ. Your work is worship towards Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying Jesus is the centre of your work. Our work is now a place of worship. It's a place where we make Jesus look great at our work. The gospel enables us now with a whole new mindset brought to the workplace to see it totally differently now. Let's remember what Paul again said in uh, chapter, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. He says this, Set your minds on the things that are above and not the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So when I come to work, I don't set my mind on the things below or the things on earth. I set my mind on the things that are above. Jesus has set me free from the sinfulness of my own heart, my own soul, and has now set me free to live for him and not the constraints or the ways of this world. So when I come to work, I set my mind on the gospel. I set my mind on things that are above, not things that are below. I set my mind on glorifying God and making Jesus look great at work. How does that look today for you? In the office, on the farm, in the classroom, at the job site, in the workshop, at the cafe, in the kitchen, in the laundry, wherever you might find yourself working. How does that look? You're working for Jesus. He's your Lord. How's the gospel shaping you at work then to glorify Christ in this way? How do you react at the workplace when the earthly boss gives you dodgy shifts? How do you react? How do you respond? Do you crack the sads? Do you have evil thoughts towards him or her because they've just given you that dodgy shift again? Do you say things to the other employees that are sort of running down the boss and saying how awful he is or how awful she is? She always gives me the shift. Is that thought in your mind at the workplace? How do you react when the manager or the supervisor gives you that hard and dirty job while the others seem to get the nice, fun, clean, cool jobs? Why do I keep getting this dirty, messy job? And when you get that, how do you respond? I'm just going to skim over as quickly as I can and not even worry about doing it properly. I hate this job. She always gives me this job. You cut corners and push things out of sight just so the boss can't see it. What are your thoughts and feelings towards your employer when that happens? Is the gospel shaping the way you think about that person? Is the gospel shaping the way you behave at work? Can the manager... And other employees, can they see something different about you at the workplace? Can they see by your attitudes and your responses, there's something different about you in comparison to them and maybe the rest of the workforce, depending on where you are? Are they able to notice that? You see, when we're at work and the gospel is shaping us in the sense that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour, because of the joy he's given to us, the gospel can shape us like this. 
We can come to work and bring cheer. We can come to work and be cheerful and have a pleasant demeanour. We can come to work contributing to an encouraging workplace. The gospel's shaping how I work. That means also when I come to work, I should be industrious. I should be giving it my all for the company. Who am I working for? The company, yes. But I'm actually working for Jesus. I'm glorifying him at work. That means also I should be showing, I should be on time, as it were, showing respect for my boss as well. Not turning up two minutes past the start time and not taking off two minutes before the end time. What do you think the manager's going to think if you're continually late? If you're continually getting there at three past eight, if eight o'clock's the start time, what do you think they're going to think? I know one friend of mine who had a, an apprentice um, working for him years ago, electrician, and uh, the apprentice electrician was a Christian. And the boss, who I knew quite well, he said, I don't know what to do with this guy. He turns up every day at about five past seven. He's meant to be there at seven o'clock. And I have a long discussion with him. Can you just come at seven o'clock? Yeah, 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 sure, sure, Domani. And he makes one day at seven, and the next four or five days are at five past seven, and again, ten past seven. And he, this boss knows the other guys are Christian, and he, and he can't work it out. He's just continually late. What's that telling the owner of that business? No respect for the owner. He said, our workplace is a place of worship for Jesus. It's a place where we can make him look great by the way we conduct ourselves at work. Look here what also Paul says for these Colossians uh, slaves in verse 24. He says, you've got an inheritance coming. You might think, what's that? So Paul's talking about an inheritance here for these Colossians slaves. And What do you, what do you mean, Paul? Well, Paul means this. Eternally, eternal glory awaits you with Christ. You have this glorious inheritance coming. What a motivation to work hard for in that sense. You see, because these guys don't inherit anything. They're just slaves. But not so with Jesus. There's unending glory in the next world where we are going to be with him forever. But in case that sort of blows them off balance there and thinking, oh, well, okay, if I've got this unending glory coming, I don't really care how much happens in the meantime. I'll just, as long as I scrape through to, to his eternal glory. Paul doesn't go there because he said there's a warning here as well for these guys. Look in the next verse, in verse 25. He says there, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In other words, don't just think that because you're a Christian, you can slacken off with your work because, hey, there's an inheritance coming. And just let your attitude just fall away. I think what Paul's saying here when he writes that verse is this. If we take shortcuts at work, not doing as we asked to, not giving our all like we're supposed to, then part of the reward of blessings in eternal glory will be reduced for us. I'm not saying we're not going to make it to heaven because of that, but some of those blessings, because there are rewards in heaven, some of those will be reduced because we actually haven't given it our all and lived for Christ here upon this earth. What is that? That's an accountability measure that God puts in place for us to help motivate us, as it were, to give our best for his glory and to reflect that in the workplace. You see, the gospel redeems the workplace. Work isn't just somewhere where I turn up and that's it. No. It's a place of worship for Jesus. 
Paul turns us around now in, in the chapter 4, verse 1. He takes the workplace in another direction altogether. He's still in the workplace, but looking at it from another perspective. He says, what about the masters? What about the owners of the slaves or the employers of our business? The people who own businesses here that we may work for. What about them? Because some of these were in the Colossian church as well. He says there in verse 1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, again, what Paul's saying here, we read it on face value. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's radical. It's really radical here what Paul is saying to the Colossian church. Paul, these are just slaves. They're only goods and chattel. They're just like pieces of equipment. They have no real value, Paul. So what do you mean treat them justly and fairly? They're not worth anything. No one, treat, no one treats them like that in this world. What, what are you on about, Paul? Paul's on about this. The gospel not only transforms slaves, workers, the gospel also transforms owners, employers, for those who have people working for them. Are you providing them with a safe and proper, proper working environment? Are you caring for the employees who work for your business? Are you paying them a full and proper wage? Or are you underpaying them? Are you being fair? Are you exploiting and manipulating the workforce that you have working for you? Or are you taking advantage of them? Take, putting less money in their pocket and putting more money in your pocket? Is that what's happening? We have a world that's known for using and abusing labour. You can look in some countries around the world where they run these sweatshops and these child labour places. They're just using these kids that were for just a pittance to produce goods so they can actually make themselves more and more wealthy. Even today in Australia, in, the, in the, probably the recent 12 months or so, we've seen high-profile people caught out running businesses and underpaying their staff, happy to line their own pockets, but actually sort of keep suppressing those who are working for them. That's not the gospel. That's not gospel-transformed living by a person who's employing others. And that's not what Paul was calling us here to. He's calling, the gospel helps us to call employers at the workplace to love those who work for us, to love them just as we love ourselves. We wouldn't want to be shortchanged or taken advantage of or abused. To care about them, to make sure that their well-being is looked after. They're not just a number at your job site. They're actually a person made in the image of God whom we must love care for. It's a bit like this. Masters, employers, bosses, shift manager, wherever you are and you're over the top of people, treat your employees, treat the people you're in charge of justly and fairly. Why? Because you too have a master in heaven who treats you justly and fairly. So who are you to withhold your justice or your fairness from them? You see, our workplace is a place of worship for Jesus. That's what the workplace is. Our life isn't made up of all these different boxes, like, yep, sure, Sunday's worship. That's what I do on Sundays. But Monday, no, that's work. Tuesday, that's work. Wednesday, that's work. Thursday, that's work. Saturday's my day. Saturday's my day. It's not that. We're not in all these little different compartments and boxes. All of life is worship. Workplace is a place of worship. All of my life has been transformed by the gospel of Christ and it must be a place where Jesus is now evident 
and working through me. Now, you might be sitting here today and you might be watching us online and thinking, uh, yeah, I know it's a major part of our lives and there's a whole mixture of frustration here and fulfilment. It's both. Some days are great and some days seem like they are a disaster. Work is frustrating because we bring our own brokenness to it. We bring our own sinfulness to it before God and we bring it out and we let it out upon others at the workplace. Uh, we, this causes tension and rivalry and bitterness at work. I've experienced that as an employer with two guys just um, verbally abusing each other. And I've sort of got to get there and try and defuse it. I, I, I can just see they've brought their tensions and whatever and they've just let it all out. It's terrible. It's horrible. And maybe right now you're thinking, I can identify with that. Because I'm at a workplace and I'm feeling that and, and I'm contributing to that to some extent as well. You can identify that. Maybe this is also your first time here with us exchange online and you're saying, yeah, that's, that's something I experience. Well, the gospel's speaking into that right now. The gospel's speaking to our brokenness that we bring to the workplace that contributes to that tension and bitterness. But the gospel also redeems our workplace by redeeming us and makes it a place of worship for Jesus. You see, followers of Jesus should be the best workers in a business. They should be the very best workers in a business because their first allegiance is to Jesus as their Lord, as their Saviour, and they want to seek to glorify Him in that workplace. Because of that, they should be the very best workers in that workplace. Because we've got to think... What a privilege it is that we get to work, worship Jesus at the workplace. It's an enormous privilege. We get to show Christ out through our lives at the workplace by the way we speak, by the way we respond, by the way we show respect, by being regular at turning up on time. A couple of questions. Let me just throw this in. So what do you do then if you're in a workplace where you are taken advantage of regularly? You're a believer. You want to follow Christ and the gospel shaping the way you uh, live at your workplace. But you're treated harshly by the managers. What do you do? Do you become a doormat and just keep taking that? How do, how do I actually respond to that situation? Well, firstly you do this. You continue to let the gospel shape your respect and kindness for that workplace regardless of how they are treating you. None of us have any license whatsoever to say, right, if you're going to give me that, I'll give you twice as much back. Not at all. The gospel shapes us to continue to be respectful and kind no matter where we are in that workplace. But then it's totally okay, it's totally okay to find another workplace where you're not going to be taken advantage of. You don't have to stay there unless you feel the Lord wants you to stay there, but then you have to be willing to be taken advantage of if that's not the case, it's totally okay to move on to another workplace where well, you're not putting yourself there in, in the firing line, so to speak. And if you do that, if you do that, you need to leave on the very best of terms. Often when people have been abused at a workplace, they want to go out, but they don't want to go out with a bang, they want to go out with an explosion. They want to cause a bit of havoc on the way out because of all the hard stuff that's been done to them. Not so with the gospel. When we leave, we leave on the very best of terms loving our employer despite whatever they may have done to us. There is no license to abuse them as you shut the door on the way out of the office. 
You can leave, though. Okay, as we wrap this up, let's take a spiritual temperature check here as we think about work. Has the gospel been running warm with you at work? Is the gospel really flowing through your veins, as it were, through your thoughts, through your mind? Are you bringing encouragement and cheer and joy to the workplace? Are you seeking to build up others around you and love them at the workplace, even the really difficult ones who don't love you back? Is that the attitude you're bringing to the workplace? Have you been looking for gospel witnessing opportunities also at work? Is the gospel running warm through you in that sense? Or is the gospel gone cold at work with you? Have you been stealing time from the boss? Start time's 8 o'clock, you get there at 5 past 8, you're stealing time from the boss. That's not gospel living. Have you jumped on the bandwagon with the rest of the staff, slagging on the boss? Yeah, he always does this. He's such a loser. He doesn't know how to run this business, does he? If only he could just let us run the business. That's the gospel gone cold. That's not the gospel going warm. What about owners and employers? Have you been fair to your employees? Have you gone out of your way to care for them and to love them, to show the love of Christ to those who are working for you? Have you gone out of your way to consider their circumstances and consider the hardship they're going through and maybe cutting them some extra slack at this particular time as well? That's a spiritual temperature check here for us. Is the gospel running warm with us? But you see, this is the beauty of Jesus Christ in that sense. Because we might sit here today, you might sit there online as well and think, I'm a mixture of hot and cold. Yeah, I've got some good stuff happening. Oh, I've got some bad stuff happening. This is the beauty of Christ. He comes and he restores and he forgives us for all of our sins that we commit at the workplace. He gives us an opportunity now to step up and to reflect his goodness back into the workplace. He restores our heart and our mind to say, who are we working for? We're working for Jesus. Sure, we're working for the boss, but actually we're serving the Lord Christ through a redeemed life. You see, the workplace becomes a place of worship where we can worship Jesus Christ, no matter what you're doing. Whether you've got the iron out and you're on the ironing board, you can worship Jesus. Whether you're pouring coffees, you can worship Jesus. Whether you're in the classroom talking to the students, you can worship Jesus. Are those students, are these people, are they seeing Christ reflected out through me at the workplace? What a glorious place we can have to worship Jesus through. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you this morning as we hear, sit here and we uh, think about Colossians chapter 3. Father, we think about slaves. We think about workers today, Lord. In, in the same sense, it's, it's a different world we live in now. We don't live in the world of the New Testament where slavery was the cultural thing. The Bible's not condoning slavery. Paul's just addressing the culture where it's at at that particular time. Today, we're able to think about ourselves as either employers employing people or employees working for employers. And here's the glorious thing, Father, that you've given to us. You've given us the gospel that shapes us in every aspect of our lives. 
Lord, I pray you'd help us today. Help us to reassess again where we are at at our workplace. Sure, there may be people who are just rubbing us up the wrong way. They're pushing all the wrong buttons in my life. But Lord, you give me the grace and you give me the strength today to be able to reflect Christ through that workplace. That I don't box my life up, Lord, and say there's the Monday box and the Friday box and I can't wait for the weekend, then I can worship. No, every day is a day of worship. Every aspect of my life is a day of worship. So I pray, Lord, let your spirit work in our hearts today so that we can redeem the workplace and glorify Christ there with, uh, with my employees. Lord, thank you today that we can do that. And I ask and pray, Lord, for your grace to carry that out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, as we uh, finish off with a song. If you uh, love to get in connection with us or have any questions about today's talk online, please uh, email us at info at exchangechurch.org.au and we would love to connect with you. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.